You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Morning, everybody. If you want to be coming back to your seats. Hasn't it been amazing so far? And there's more to come. How many of you, just a show of hands, have been really aware of an increased sense of the manifest presence of God amongst his people in recent weeks? For those of you on live stream, hands up all over the room. I know that I have. It's true that God's presence is always with us, whether we're aware of it or not. However, there are times and seasons when there is a particular move of God during which there's an increased sense of his power and the power of his presence seen tangibly and demonstrated visibly. And I really believe that we are in such a time. Now, we've been sharing some amazing stories the last few weeks, and this week is no different. Can we give Catherine a huge welcome, please? Catherine has an amazing, mind-blowing story to tell you today. Prepare yourselves. Spoiler. (laughs) So five weeks ago, I attempted to play netball for the first time since having my little girl, and two minutes in, fell over and fractured my kneecap. Wow, painful. Um, So then I had a brace on it, and it was locked in extension for four weeks. Went back last week on Tuesday... And he said, we'll give you a 30-degree bend, which doesn't feel like a lot. (laughs) No. Um, And he said, each time you come, we'll x-ray you, and you'll get a little bit more of a bend. So then last Sunday, obviously Josh spoke on healing, got prayed, and they were saying, do you feel any different? And I was like, well, I can't really test it, but I'll let you know on Friday. (laughs) Went on Friday, had an x-ray, and he called me, and he said, can I just examine it? Gave it a poke, he said, any pain? I was like, no, none. So... He did it a bit more, nothing. He took the brace off and said, can you bend it? And straight away, yeah, no, no problem. So, he had me doing... So what have they said to you, Catherine? He had me doing all kinds of things up and down the room. And he said, well, I just can't find any reason to keep you in the brace. It's, it's fine, it's fixed, it's healed. So, discharged, job done. How amazing is that? Thank you so much. In addition to that, this week at our table, the the meal that we put on for the the homeless people and the poor in our community, two men gave their lives to Jesus. Just amazing. God is at work. His kingdom is advancing and we are part of it. Who would want to be anywhere else doing anything else other than devoting our lives to this? to his kingdom and to be in a community that makes such a difference in this city. You can tell I'm a little bit excited today. John and Joni are back. These stories, feeling quite giddy. So if I'm moving around a lot, that's why. (laughs) As Josh said last week in his talk, Jesus is the only hope for our world. Is the hope for you in any situation you're facing. He's the hope for your family and friends. He's the hope for your work colleagues and neighbours. And we've been following a sermon series entitled, This is a Move, during which we've been looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. We've explored why we pray come Holy Spirit, what it means to be baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We've looked at how he is at work today through the prophetic, through healing signs and wonders. And we've heard testimonies of lives transformed and heard stories of revival when whole communities and nations were changed, which of course is our ongoing prayer for our city and our nation and our world. Just over a month ago, I spoke on prayer, focusing particularly on silence and solitude, looking at Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. We looked at how important it is to be in his presence daily, to stop doing, to lay down our prayer lists for a while, fixing our eyes and our attention on him, to be in the intimate relationship with him for which he created us. And my talk today is really the outworking of this as we become conscious of the fact that we live 24 hours all of our lives in his presence, carrying his presence wherever we go. I believe God wants to equip us to do this effectively, throwing off everything that hinders us. With that in mind, we're going to explore two key questions today. What does it mean to host and carry the presence of God? And how do we allow the presence of God to permeate every part of our being so that we carry his presence well? So first of all, what does it mean to host and carry the presence of God? The death of Jesus on the cross followed by his resurrection made it possible for humanity to come into a place that had previously been hidden where humankind could carry the very presence of God and do all that he did. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Just consider this amazing statement for a moment. Jesus is telling us that we, as believers in him, who carry his presence, will not only do the works he did, which is quite something, if we think of some of the amazing miracles, deliverances Jesus did, but also that we'll do even greater things than these. If that doesn't fill you with awe and wonder, I'm not sure what will. Heidi Baker says this, we have been called to such intimate communion with him that all things are possible for us who believe and who have been created to be like him. As we realise that all the miracles Jesus did on earth were done as a man dependent on his heavenly father, we are invited to believe that our little lives can be used in the same way to carry the awesome glory of God. A little further on in John 14, Jesus goes on to say how this is to happen. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. As we've looked at in previous weeks, this was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in person, in the form of a mighty wind, filling each person individually. This wasn't just a one-time moment or experience. Jesus promised that when he returned to heaven, another person would come in his place who would stay with us forever, not just a few brief years. So where does the Holy Spirit live now? There are two answers to this. First, he lives in the church, the corporate body of Christ. Paul says to the Corinthian believers, 
Do you, not know, do you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is one of the reasons it's so important for us to be part of a church family like this. It's how God does his work. He intends you to be part of a body with him as the head, all parts dependent on him and each other as each of us play our part. That's a whole talk in itself, but I thought worth a little bonus mention here. Second, he lives in you and I if we are believers in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Again, I think this is one of the most breathtaking statements in the Bible. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, our physical bodies are to be the dwelling place of God, the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So whilst I normally start my day in quiet with the Lord, a couple of weeks ago, something slightly unusual happened. As I was waking up one morning, I heard a voice say clearly, I'm returning the ark to my people. A little bit confusing. I hadn't been thinking about the ark, reading about it, or dreaming about it. And as far as I'm aware, but immediately my heart was racing. I sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit on me. Now, just in case, and I'm sure there are a few of you, just in case you're imagining a gigantic boat coming our way, I'm not talking about Noah's Ark here. Rather, I'm talking about the Ark of the Covenant, described in the Old Testament. If, like me, you're no expert on this, I'm going to attempt a really brief history lesson for the purpose of understanding the context. So today, as we've just said, as believers in Jesus, we have the awesome privilege of continually having access to the presence of God as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Old Testament Israelites didn't have this privilege, and the Ark of the Covenant was designed to be a symbol of the presence of God in the midst of his people. God gave Moses specific, intricate instructions on how to build it. It was highly adorned, gold-plated in and out. There should be a picture coming up to give you an idea. Within the ark were kept three important items. The Ten Commandments, God's rules for living. A pot of manna, a reminder of how God supernaturally provided food for the Israelites in the wilderness. And the rod of Aaron to symbolize God's given leadership and priesthood. Upon the top of the ark was a golden plate upon which two cherubim with raised wings and facing each other covered the ark. And the place between the two cherubim, sometimes referred to as the mercy seat, was the place God's presence appeared when he wanted to communicate with Israel. Once a year, a priest would enter the most holy place where the ark was housed and would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat from a sacrificed animal to atone for the sins of Israel. This old covenant, which means agreement, is no longer needed today as Jesus Christ became a new covenant in which he made total provision for us through his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and giving us full access to the presence of God. So the most important thing to remember is that the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence amongst his people, which enabled amazing things to happen as it does today. 
For example, stopping the waters, allowing the Israelites to safely cross huge rivers, causing the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down, and so much more. So when I heard the words, I'm returning the ark to my people, I knew enough to know it meant something about God's manifest presence amongst us, and that caused me to feel incredibly excited. Now, often when God speaks, we wonder if we've heard right, and so in his mercy and grace, he gives us other confirmations. And that particular morning, I went on to follow my normal daily devotional. And I was doubly amazed to find the Bible passage for that morning was from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. Now, I've read this passage many times. I love the story of Samuel so much that we named our son after him. But I'd never taken notice of the where the ark of God was. I knew this was no coincidence. Then, the day after this, I shared what had happened with a friend who was due to go on a silent retreat to a convent that week. And she'd been invited to join the nun's midday reading and prayers. She texted me that evening saying, you'll never guess what the reading was today, and shared that it was Psalm 132, which talks about, you guessed it, the Ark of the Covenant. Last but not least, I was talking with Josh about this a couple of days later, and he told me he'd seen Tim Hughes as a well-known pastor in Birmingham, and that he'd just given a talk that Sunday to his church on carrying the presence of God, all about the Ark too. And I'm unashamedly using some points from that talk today. So all of those confirmations, I thought, yeah, this is, I've heard from the Lord, I'm pretty sure. So to explore our second question today, how do we allow the presence of God to permeate every part of our being so we carry his presence well? We're going to look at a slightly strange but extremely relevant passage from 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you have your Bibles with you, it will also be up on the screen. When King David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. So it's helpful to know a bit of a background of the run-up to this. In the time of Moses, because the Israelites were a people on the move, the Ark of the Covenant moved with them, and God also gave Moses specific instructions on how it should be carried, very detailed instructions. And you can find these instructions in Numbers 4. But suffice to say, so precious were the contents of the Ark, And so holy, the presence of God, that only specific people could carry it. And if they touched the holy things, they were warned they would die. Fast forward to the time of David. Saul, who was king before David, had little regard for the presence of God, and therefore the Ark of the Covenant. However, David did. For those of you who are familiar with David's story... From the time in the desert as a shepherd boy, from his courage and boldness as a young man in offering to fight Goliath, um, he was interested in the presence of God and was well acquainted with him. Therefore, when he became king, he immediately made arrangements to bring the ark, which had been in hiddenness for 50 years, into Jerusalem. 
here's the story. If you want to be turning to 2 Samuel 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. That's a lot of men. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day, the place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He wasn't willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, if ever there was a tribe you'd like to belong to. (laughs) The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, that's a lot of cakes, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this and will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. Picture the scene. 
David gathers 30,000 young men to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. In addition, there were all of the Israelite men and women who had gathered to witness this, worshipping and celebrating with all their might, with singing and dancing and playing instruments. The finest ox cart had been obtained to carry the ark on wheels. David, in his enthusiasm, perhaps thought this would be easier and speed up the process. All is going well, but suddenly one of the oxen stumble and nearly upset the cart that is carrying the ark. Uzzah reaches his hand out to steady it and drops down dead. David feels both afraid and angry, understandably so you may feel. However, there were vital lessons David needed to learn through these events about how Israel was to carry God's presence. And these lessons are just as important for us today. So the first point I want to make, a lesson that we can learn for today, is we carry God's presence his way, not ours. As I said earlier, God had given the Israelites clear instructions on how to carry the ark, how to carry his presence, but they had chosen to ignore them. They thought they knew better. After all, things had changed since the time of Moses. Technology had advanced. Why go to the trouble of carrying the ark when it could be pulled on wheels? It would be faster and look much more impressive too. It would look so much better and smoother on wheels. Could it be that David and the Israelites had become more concerned with the occasion itself, with appearances and performance, that they forgot about the holiness and the awesomeness of the presence of the one they were carrying? And why was David angry? Perhaps he felt, I've organized all of this for you, God, gone to all of this trouble, and what do you do in return? Someone drops down dead. He may have had the best of intentions, but in his enthusiasm, he had forgotten God's instructions. He disobeyed God, but because he felt he was doing something good for him, he expected him to bless it. Does this relate to us today? I think it does. Perhaps sometimes we, in our enthusiasm for God, we think we're doing our best for God, but we unintentionally put ourselves at the center and not him. We make our own plans, do it our way instead of his, and expect him to bless it. Just because something looks impressive, it doesn't mean God is in it. Because true worship is never about us at the center, but always about God. We can't ignore God's ways and his instructions and expect the glory of God to fall. We're living in a culture that tells us that God's instructions for living, be it sex, relationships, money, or a whole range of things, are old-fashioned, outdated, irrelevant, that times have moved on, that there's a better way of living and doing things now. Surely a loving God wouldn't mind. We turn a blind eye to our maker's instructions and expect to be effective in carrying God's presence to the world. Perhaps we're in church each Sunday praising God like the Israelites in this passage. But if it doesn't make a difference to 24 hours every day of our lives, if we're choosing not to live in obedience to God's word, we're totally missing the point. God is love. But he's also almighty, all-powerful and holy His presence cannot be manhandled, as Uzzah found out. If we want to be people who carry God's presence wherever we go, we carry it his way, 
not ours. The second thing we can learn from this passage is that we carry God's presence at his speed and not ours. We're told that David leaves the Ark of the Covenant at the house of Obed-Edom for three months. Now, we don't know what happens to David during this time, but we are told that the whole household of Obed-Edom prospers while the Ark is there. I'm guessing, though, that David spent time alone with God in prayer, inquiring of the Lord about what has just happened, perhaps rereading the scriptures. He no doubt looked back to the instructions given to Moses and recognized the error of his ways. Whatever happens during that three months, he returns to the household a different man, ready to carry the ark God's way, not his. Scholars estimate it would have been about a 10-mile journey to Jerusalem. Not bad, you may think, for those of you who do a little bit of walking. But we need to consider that the journey of carrying the ark involved stopping every six steps and offering sacrifices. Imagine that. The journey would have been incredibly slow and extremely costly. No wonder David had been tempted to put the ark on wheels. However, God intentionally wanted to slow him right down. Tim Hughes, who I mentioned earlier, relates a great personal story on this point. He and his wife Rachel have four children and have recently adopted a fifth child, a baby girl. He's at home one Sunday evening looking after the children whilst his wife is preaching at church. He's trying to get the baby to sleep to no avail. I'm sure Joni over there is, is relating to this just now. Meanwhile, his other children are doing goodness knows what in the rest of the house. During this time, he receives a message from his brother who is preaching at a really well-known church in America and a friend who's leading worship at a large event. He starts to become increasingly frustrated, thinking thoughts like this. There's so much to do. I should be out there doing the Jesus stuff, using my gifts. I hate missing out. But I'm stuck out here, putting my children to bed. And as he's sitting there, with all of this frustration, he begins to sense the presence of God and his delight over him and his little girl in that moment. And he hears God whisper to him, Tim, that which you feel is slowing you down is actually the thing that is keeping you in step. The things that you think are slowing you down from all the things you think you could be doing are actually keeping you in step with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 24 to 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God gently slowed Tim down to see the value and preciousness of that moment, being a father to his children, a role that God as our father obviously values immensely. And I feel like there's some people here today that need reminding that God is present in the everyday and the mundane. Those moments that no one else seems to see and notice, he sees, he knows, he loves. Just because something is visible and exciting, outwardly impressive, it doesn't make it more important to God. To carry God's presence well, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. 
I used to read that verse in Galatians and always see it as needing to catch up. Anybody else? Like a toddler trying to keep up with their parent. But I see now, especially in this 24-hour, non-stop society we live in, that it's usually the opposite. We need to slow down. Whilst writing this, I was reminded of when my own children were small. I would need to be somewhere. And so I tried to strap them in the pram to get there quickly, to put them on wheels, just like David did with the ark. And they'd resist, saying, no, mummy, I walk. I would let out a sigh, knowing this would mean stopping every few steps, again, parallels with the story, whilst they pointed out every person, tree, flower, dog, cat, car, or anything else of interest. Oh, wow, I would say. Pretending to be interested before sneakily pulling out a treat from my pocket or my bag and trying to distract them and coax them back into the pram to get to where I needed to be. But I realize now that in these moments, my children were more in tune with God than I was. They took time to stop and notice with no concept of hurry or rushing. Perhaps that's one of the reasons Jesus says we all need to become like little children. And there's a well-known story in the book of Luke where Jesus gets left behind by Mary and Joseph. They've travelled to Jerusalem together to celebrate the Passover. And Mary and Joseph and the rest of their company set off home. It takes them a whole day, however, to realise that 12-year-old Jesus is missing. Imagine that, parents. They'd carried on their journey without realising they'd left Jesus behind. Now, I know that God's presence never leaves us. He's always with us. But can you see the principle here? When we rush ahead with our own agendas, it can be quite some time before we realise that we have left Jesus behind, as it were, before we realise that we're out of step with the Holy Spirit. The worst thing we can do is to race ahead of the Holy Spirit and confuse speed and efficiency with his work. He operates at a different speed to us and at times slows us down. We can often view challenge, struggle and seemingly unanswered prayers negatively, but perhaps sometimes God is using those times to help us keep in step with his Holy Spirit. We carry God's presence at his speed, not ours, in his way, not ours. And my final point today is, we carry God's presence with care. The Israelites were given clear, careful instructions on how to carry the ark. Not on wheels, but on the shoulders of people that God had chosen for that task. It's worth noting that his presence, represented by the ark, was intended to be carried by men in the times of Moses and David, and his presence is still carried by people today by the Holy Spirit living within us. It's also interesting that the presence of God won't rest on anything that we make, like the car in the story. He rests on people, not on things, whether they're buildings, events, ministries, or such like, however impressive they may appear. It is us, as his people, who have the privilege of carrying his presence into all of life's situations. Bill Johnson makes this point in his book, Hosting the Presence, referring to the story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3.16. It says this, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, where heavens, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, 
and settling on him. The Holy Spirit settles on Jesus like a dove, a beautiful white bird symbolizing purity, peace, gentleness. He makes the point that if you were aware that you were carrying a dove on your shoulder, you would alter the way you walk. You'd be careful how you carry it, where you go, what you do. Every step would be taken with the dove in mind. Perhaps in our busyness, we forget that we carry the presence of God, that his spirit lives in us. Or perhaps we become so accustomed to it, we take it for granted even. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian church who were deliberately choosing not to live God's way of this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In another letter, he warns the Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a person, and as a person, he can be grieved. Grieved because he wants the best for you, for you to yield to him, allow him to bring transformation. And although he loves us and will never leave us, if we truly desire his presence to permeate every part of our being so that we carry his presence well, we will do this with care. We'll think about what we're thinking about, what we allow into our minds, what we allow our eyes to see, what comes out of our mouths, how we use our bodies. I've realized quite recently that one of the ways I can grieve the Holy Spirit is with thoughts or words that I speak about myself. And I've been challenged to think, do they agree with what God says about me and who he says I am? I only want to think his thoughts and learning to change my mindset. When we truly recognize that we have been chosen to carry the presence of God, we will carry his presence, his way, not ours, at his speed, not ours, and with great care. In closing, my prayer is that each and every one of us will learn to be increasingly aware and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we will live our lives in conscious awareness, that we are carrying his presence wherever we go, that the awareness that he is living in us would spur us on to live lives that bring him honor and glory and praise in obedience to him in every area of our lives. It's amazing what God is doing in our midst at this time, isn't it? But I strongly believe that this is just the beginning. There are greater things that are yet to come as God makes his presence manifest amongst his people. And some of the things may look a bit different. Picture King David, for example, in the passage we read earlier. He had stripped himself of his kingly garments and put on a priest's tunic, which was basically a priest's undergarment, obviously not something a king would normally be seen in. However, David was no ordinary king. He would later become known as a man after the man after God's heart. Imagine him dressed in such a way in front of all of the people and then dancing before the ark with all of his might. It must have been quite a spectacle to behold. 
And to some, it would have looked embarrassing and foolish. And that is how Michal, David's wife, saw the situation. And she mocks David. She, like her father Saul before her, doesn't share David's heart of worship or understanding of the preciousness of the presence of God. David, however, is unperturbed by her response and says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. Guys, there's a way of stewarding the manifest presence of God and allowing ourselves to be led by him that will mean that we see some things that perhaps not used to or experience things we never have before. Don't let looking dignified put you off. Be like David who gave God all that he had and worshipped with all his might. We've seen in recent weeks people when they're being touched by God laughing, crying, shaking as they're filled with his presence. And I strongly sense that we're going to see an increase in amazing stories happening of lives being transformed as people are healed and set free. Imagine having people queuing up on a Sunday to share their stories like Catherine did today. I believe that that time is coming. I believe his presence is here now. It has been throughout the service, and it would be great to see what he wants to do today. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.